on, baby. It's a joy and privilege uh, for me to uh, finally be here. I've been so looking forward to, uh, to come uh, and being uh, here with you. Um, I want to seize this opportunity to thank you for uh, your investment uh, in the field uh, of Malawi. Uh, you guys have uh, played a key role and you have invest, invested significantly uh, in that field. Uh, you have given, you have allowed uh, Pastor David to go um, and uh, taking, the te taking a team, uh, but also you have given uh, resources and uh, the container. Uh, you you, you uh, picked up staff and filled that 40-foot container. It's not a small work. Uh, there was a lot of uh, time and investment that was, uh, that was made in that container. And so we are very, very grateful. And uh, this is not just, uh, you know, uh, losing some words, but uh, I'm deeply uh, grateful uh, for your investment uh, in that field. God bless you. Amen. All right, this uh, morning, uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn them uh, with me to 1 Samuel chapter 6. First Samuel chapter 6, and uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be speaking from uh, verse, number, uh, verse number 10 uh, through to verse, uh, to verse number 13. And I've uh, um, labeled my message, Experiencing the Return of the Power of God in your life. There are times that uh, we can lose it, not losing our salvation, but the manifest presence, the manifest power of God can be lost in our lives. And how can we experience the return of that power? Before we actually read the text, let me set up for us. Uh, chapter 6 uh, of 1 Samuel is, the part, is a part of a larger story uh, of the period of the judges. The Bible describes the environment of that, of that, of that time in the very last verse of the book of the judges in chapter, uh, judges chapter 21. And in verse number 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. There was no authority in the lives of many, and every man did that was right, which was right in, in his own eyes. No king. Jehovah God was supposed to be their king, right. the king of Israel. Yep. And yet they never acknowledged him and worshipped him as the king. And so that resulted into every man doing that which was, seemed right in their own eyes. And one significant thing, uh, uh, significant thing that describes this period is that cycle of Israel's rebellion that leads to oppression, and then God would come through uh, to deliver uh, Israel. Yeah. 
And then the last couple uh, chapters before uh, chapter number six, uh, the focus turned from Israel into uh, Philistines who were the sworn enemies of Israel. And Israel had taken, uh, uh, Philistines had taken the Ark of the Covenant when they defeated uh, the Israelites. The Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant and took them uh, with them uh, to Philistia. And in the last couple uh, chapters, we have seen, um, uh, or, we also, or we could see uh, the Philippians, uh, Phil uh, Philistines rejecting the God of Israel, who was represented in the Ark of the Covenant. Three of the major uh, cities of Philistia at that time were just keep transferring uh, God from one city uh, to another. They would technically say, get him out of here. Exactly. As God is trying to deal with his people, to, to deal with the people, and prove themselves to them, uh, him to them, that he is the sovereign God. Amen. But he, they would never acknowledge him as such. And so they keep moving and send him out from city to city. And God punishes them for their rejection with destruction of their lives and through death and physical uh, calamities. Uh, God struck them with emeralds. There's a lot of pain and suffering. And the people for a period of seven months, that's a long period of time to have that kind of diseases on their borders. No one could help another. And after enduring a period of suffering, the Philistines gathered together and asked themselves, what should we do with the Ark of the Covenant, with the God of Israel? And unanimously they agreed to take the Ark out of the country and send it back to Israel. God, brothers and sisters, is returning home to be with his people. And this is where we are picking up, uh, this, uh, picking up our, read, our reading this morning. In verse number 10, And the men did so, and took two milk kine, and tied them to the cart, and shut up their calves at home. And they laid the ark of the Lord upon the cart and the coffer with the mice of gold and the images of their emeralds. And the kind took the straight way to the way of Beth Shemesh and went along the highway, lowing as they went and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them unto the border of Beth Shemesh. And they of the Bethsemes were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark and rejoiced to see it. If we are honest enough this morning, people sitting in this room can agree with me that there are times in our lives that we don't experience the manifest power of God in our lives. 
There are times that we, uh, we sense or we experience some spiritual dryness in our lives. Your, your prayer life is turned mechanical. You, you pray as a ritual in your life. And there is no heart-to-heart conversation with your father. When you get into the word of God, when you turn those pages, there's no refreshment at all. We do this to remove and take away a guilt of not spending time with God. There are times that we don't experience God working in our lives. We call on him and we don't seem to see him working in our life. The things of God becomes so burdensome, a lot of work to do. Taking our time that we could be spending in some other things that seem to be more important than the works of God. The work of God becomes too much work for us. You are just experiencing some dry spell in your spiritual life. This could come from many factors. Some could result from neglected and confessed sin of our lives. God convicts us, but we never take it away. We continue to live in sin. Maybe it's a sickness, maybe it's an emotional hurt and heaviness that weighs us down. Maybe you started on fire at the beginning of the year, but honestly desiring to increase in the knowledge of God and serving Him more. But as we are approaching the end of the year, you are so, so dry. I have good news for you, brothers and sisters. You can experience the return of the power of God in your life. What we are seeing in the nation of Israel is, is the nation of Israel who represents the life of any one of us. And a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. The nation of Israel as a body in Exodus chapter number 4 is called God's son. You and I, when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and as our Savior, we became the sons of God. Amen. Born in his family. And as we go through the history of Israel not only the history of the people of God, but his story over his people, we find that they are some dialect application in our own spiritual life. Yeah. So this is, not just the, this is not just the story that happened. This is a story that God placed in his book for us to learn things from. And how can you experience the return of the power of God? Again, in this story that happened several years ago, 
maps the way for you and me to experience the return of the power of God. And the first thing that we learn, if we are to experience the return of God's power in our life, is that you need to be in the right place. If we're going to experience that power again in our spiritual life, you need to be and place yourself in your proper place, in the right place. If you're going to connect, reconnect with God, especially after a long period of being away from him, a spiritual dryness of experiencing spiritual dryness in your life, you need to be in the right place. You remember when the Ark of the Covenant was with the Philistines back in these previous chapters, it was destroying and killing people in every city it was sent to. And if people did not die, God sent weird disease called amorodes to bring them low and on their face before the holy God of Israel. Now they are fed up with deadly destruction and terrible disease on their hinder parts. And they had decided to send it back to their owners. God going home. The ark was placed on the cart, and without guiding it to where it goes, the ark finds its way straight to a place Amen. called Bath Shemas. That's the place. That's the right place. That's the place the ark directs itself to. We read that in, in verse number 10 to verse number 12. And the men did so and took two milk kine and tied them to the cart and shut up their calves at home. And they laid the ark upon uh, the lake of uh, the, the ark of the Lord upon their cart and coffered with the mice of gold and images of the emeralds. And the kine took the straight way to the way of Beth Shemesh. And went along the highway, lowing as they went, turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them unto the border of Beth Shemesh. That word Beth Shemesh, if you break it down, Beth means house. You remember when you go back to Genesis chapter 22, the word Bethel which means the house of God. Beth, house, and El, God. And Shemes comes from the root word shame. If you break that word down, the word Shem, it is son. It means the son. In Genesis chapter 10, says, they, the Shemites, are the people of the east. So the sun rises in the east. And so where does the ark of the covenant is going? It goes straight. No turning to the left, no turning to the right, but it goes straight to the house of the sun of the east. In Malachi chapter 4, 
prophesying about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus there is referred to as the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness. Arise with healing in his wings. And where does the sun rises from? It rises from the east. We can therefore make some conclusion here. That the ark of the covenant went to bath the house of shame. Went to the house of the Lord. Or the house of God. And so as we make application today, what is the house of God? It is the local church. When people are gathered together, people that have called on the name of the Lord Jesus for their own salvation, when that people gather together, that's the church. And as the people who saw the first coming back of God in the ark, these people are gathered together and they are just found themselves in this place, the place called Beth Shemeth, or the house of God. In 1 Timothy chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number, uh, verse number 15, makes it clear for us in verse number 15. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the, tra- of the truth. The house of God is the church of the living God. When God returns home, naturally he goes to where his people gather. That's home. The question for you, brothers and sisters, this morning, is the church, the family of God, home for you? Do you, do, do you feel comfortable at home in the church? It's amazing to me that so many people love what is in the world and they make home there than they do love the church when it's gathered. We find ourselves right at home out there than it is when the people of God gather. I know I love uh, by the end of the day uh, on a weekend to watch our football, which is soccer. And whenever I go home after ministry, I go home and put on some comfortable clothes. I sit down I put my legs up, I'm at home, and watch soccer. That's home. 
Do we feel the same when the church of God is gathered? Or you're rushing to go out and do life other than when the church is gathered together. You will never really experience the return of the power of God if we neglect the gathering together of the people of God. The word the Bible uses to mean to be at home is the word dwell. Mm -hmm. To dwell in the Bible does not just simply mean the place I go to. To dwell means to feel comfortable, to settle at a place. Look with me what it says in, in Psalm number 23, in verse number 6. It says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Psalm 27, verse number 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord. Not many things, not more things. Not most of the things, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. This is what he seeks. It is the church. The right place for you to be. And if you're feeling like you are in that period of, period of your life, God seems like he's far away from you. You cry out and seem like he's not listening to you. You're trying to stimulate that spiritual spark. And it's not happening. What you need to do, brothers and sisters, simply is to position yourself in the right place where naturally God shows up. He shows up in the church. Now, now I understand I'm, uh, I'm not naive to think that we can contain God to a place. And I'm not trying uh, to bring a, a theology that God is contained in a particular place. He's not in your house or he's not in your workplace. He's not in your business place. That, that's not what I'm saying. But there is something that can be said about when the people of God are gathered together. Listen, this is what Jesus died for. And from Matthew chapter 16, he has promised to protect, build a hedge around when the people gather. His church. 
is where he naturally shows up. Make it a home for you if you are to experience God's power in your life. And the second thing that this text shows us, if we are truly to experience the return of God's power, is that you need to be an active or to be active in the field. And that is found in verse number 13. And they of Beth Shemeth were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark and rejoiced to see it. Have you asked yourself a question? If the Lord was passing by, if the Lord appears, what will he find you doing? And where will he find you? Won't it be embarrassing to find you where you usually go? Won't it be embarrassing to find you doing what you usually do? What we find in the text is that when the ark is making its way back home, when it gets to Beth Shemesh, the people at Beth Shemesh are found doing something. The Bible says in verse number 13, they are found reaping their wheat harvest. The wheat in context literally represents man or people. And what it means that he goes out weepeth. He goes out. He goes out and he finds these people doing some harvesting. In this world, there is harvest that is ready. There is harvest that is ready. There are souls that need to be reached. And if we are to experience the return of God and his power in our lives, we need to be found working in the field. They are busy working in the field. And you wonder why you're dry? You can experience his presence, his power. But maybe it's because you are not out working in the harvest. We need to be busy doing the work of harvesting souls and bring them into the kingdom of his dear son. Interestingly enough, these men, these people that are found in Bethlehem out working in the harvest field, they are not just working. 
If you look back in verse number 13, their harvest happens to be in the valley. They are doing their harvesting work in the valley. And we know what, the valley, what a valley is. A valley comes between the mountains. Between two high places, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And so it's a low land between those two high places. So we normally say, I am in the valley. What it means is that we are in our low spot, low place. We are in a tough time of our life. Maybe it's a spiritual valley. Maybe it's a physical valley. What we know of valley is that in the valleys, bad things happen. It may be the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes our valley may be a bad health, may be a concern for our livelihoods. A low spot of our life. But listen, you in the valley, wheat still grows. That's right. And needs harvesting. In Psalm 126 and verse number 6, He that goeth forth and weepeth, Bearing precious seed shall doubtlessly come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. That's wheat harvest. When you go out weeping for those souls that are out there who needs to hear the gospel. Who needs to hear what God has done for them? Amen. Knowing that there is bad news in their lives, they are born sinners. And they stand condemned before the holy God. If nothing happens in their life, they are herded to hell. Eternal separation from God. Not a good place. Bad news. They need to hear what Jesus has done for them. Amen. He came down for them. He borne their sins in his body. Yes. A God who knew no sin was made sin for them. So that they might become the righteousness of God. He died on that cross. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. Amen. To offer eternal life. Whosoever believeth on him in his death, burial, and resurrection will have eternal life. 
They need to hear. Naturally, they don't want to hear. But they need to hear. And as we weep for those souls, and we are faithful to go out and sow those seeds, we shall surely come back rejoicing, bringing those chefs with us. And so when God returns, look at where he returns to. He returns to the people that are in the right place. But they're also busy in the field harvesting. Mm -hmm. And they are harvesting in their low stead. You see, this work sometimes is only done on our convenience. The work of harvesting for souls, we only do them when it is convenient for us. When on our to-do list, we have completed everything. And the last thing that appears there, maybe I can do this. We have all the time to go work. I'm not saying work is bad. From work, we take our kids to a ball game. I'm not saying taking our kids is bad. From there, we rush to Costco. We are not saying going to the grocery store is bad. But if it is everything that fills our to-do list, and this thing doesn't appear on there, or is the last thing on our to-do list, we have a problem with our priorities. You are right. We are in a dry spot of our life. We need to be busy in the field, even when it hurts. This work needs to be a priority of our lives. Brothers and sisters, again, even in the valley, wheat still grows and needs to be harvested. And the third thing that we find in the text, if we are really to experience the return of God's power in our lives, is that we need to look up. And then that last part of verse number 13, they that were in Bessemus and they are busy working in the field of harvest, and they are harvesting in the valley. They lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, and they rejoiced to say it. Do you want to see the Lord's power to return in your life? Look up, and you will see him return in power in your life. Mm -hmm. 
that looking up or lifting up eyes in the Bible is associated with prayer. In Psalm chapter 5 and verse number 3, the psalmist is writing. He says, My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and I will look up. Even when things are bad, if you want to see God coming back in power in your life, you need to look up. And you will see him return in power in your life. So being active in prayer, looking up, seeking God, trusting him, inviting him to return and take his proper place and throne in your life. You will see him faithfully return in your life in power. Sometimes it is so hard to look up. When you are in the valley, when your circumstances are tough, When you look up, brothers and sisters, God will listen and hear your cry. When they looked up and they saw the ark and they rejoiced to say it. Paul says it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 4. At the end of his life in verse number 18, verse number 8. He says, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only. Amen. But unto all them also that love his appearing. If you look up, and see God return, And rejoice. There is a crown waiting for us. We need to be a people that cannot wait for Jesus to come back. People who want Jesus to come now. People who really love his appearing. I don't care if I have a great plan for tomorrow. But I just want him to return now. Amen. 
Do you want him to return? Are you praying for him to return? Or we are consumed with ourselves so much that we want to postpone his return for him to come later after we have fulfilled every plan we have. There is no crown for you. Only them who wants and desire for the Lord to return now and love his appearing will receive this crown. They saw the ark coming and they rejoiced. You see, brothers and sisters, there is joy and rejoicing when the manifest power of God returns in our lives. And as I conclude, I know I'm speaking, there may be one or two in this room who have lost the manifest power of God. As we see from the text, you can experience that power once again. And it is very, very simple. It's actually a summary of what we have spoken today. And the first thing for you to experience that return is to come home. Amen. Yeah. Make the church when the people of God are gathered, your right place to be and make that a priority. And the second thing is to go work in the field, sowing the seeds of the word of God in the heart and the souls of men and women and reaping the harvest for God. And then spend your time on your knees praying and God will honor that cry and he will return in power in your life. And you will experience the joy of your salvation and the rejoicing of God in your presence. And Lord, as we come to the end of our time together in your word, we do cry that the Holy Spirit, who is the best teacher, burn the words of God that we have heard this morning into our hearts. And that you will revive us anew that truly we will experience the joy of our salvation and the rejoicing of your power in our lives, that the glory that is due to your name is going to be manifested in our lives. And the people will be able to see us and they will glorify you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.